how many of you guys have a phone that you can use apps with? Anybody? I would really like an app that would fix my microphone right now. Anybody have one of those? <laughs> um, maybe maybe you don't have one of those, but um, we're we're starting a series called um, Life Apps, and the and the reason why I'm calling it this is because I I just I really wanted to study the book of of James. And for those of you, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, and if you've read James at all, James, um, in a lot of ways, at least among Christians, in some ways can get, he's gotten kind of a bad rap, um, because James is, uh, an author that is very in your face. Um, he does not pull any punches and he is, uh, just kind of straight. He just cuts straight to the, to the chase. He's, it's one of this Probably, in, in my mind, is one of the most application-driven books of the New Testament. Um, and so when, when I decided I wanted to, to study James, I just thought this was a, a, a great idea to do this whole, to call it Life Apps, because the book of James has, uh, is full of application for our life. Now, if you, if you have a, a Droid or you have an iPhone, I'm an iPhone junkie. I, I got one when they first came out. And so uh, I, I don't know if you are like me, but I have tons and tons of apps. And probably my most favorite app, which you will, um, this will show my immaturity and how, and, and how yes, maybe stupid I may look. But this is the best 99 cent I've ever spent. The next, uh, show the slide up there, is the iFart. Um, for those of you who have never experienced that, it's magical. And, um, and it is definitely the best 99 cent you'll ever spend in your life, I've, I have definitely laughed for hours over uh, this application. But um, it's amazing how many apps they, they do have. They really do have an app for everything. And, I mean, there's apps for just ridiculous stuff. I was looking at apps this week, and I found this one. Um, if you like to smoke but want to quit, here's an app for you. you. It's the virtual smoking app. You just stick your iPhone up to your face and pretend to smoke. It actually will even have like, it'll kind of puff and turn red and stuff. So it's crazy. It's, there's an app for everything. This is probably one of my most favorites. If you're a person who just loves to staple things um, and you're, you find yourself a, far from a stapler anywhere and you're like, where is a staple? You can have an app for that and you just push it and it, it makes a little stapling sound. And you just, that's, that's all the app does is just makes a little stapling sound. So for those of you who love to staple, um, that's your app. But it's, there is an app for everything um, for, for some reason. Um, if you are, I don't know if, how, how new you are to God or new you are to church or new you are to the Bible, but uh, oftentimes people who are, who are kind of new to God, new, new to, the, to the Bible, new to, uh, to, to faith, they have heard of this book called the Bible, and many times they have felt like it is a, a book that is ancient and doesn't really speak to us and doesn't have much application to our lives. But I want to tell you today, as we begin to look today in the book of James, um, it has tremendous application into your life, tremendous application into your life. Um, the thing about the Bible, though, it's one of those things is it has a lot of stuff that we can apply. There is a lot of uh, knowledge. There is some kind of some theory, I guess, some things up, up here. But most all of it is in um, the, where the rubber hits the road is, is in the application of things. And the book of James, we actually talked about this uh, last week. I read you uh, this verse and we talked about uh, last week and you 
you didn't have to be here last week to um, to to get this, but I want to read you a verse that the that James has that'll kind of sum this up. What we talked about last week. It says uh, in James one chapter twenty or chapter one verse twenty two says, "Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says." James says it's not just about listening to the Bible or listening to the Word of God. He says it's all about the application. It's all about doing what the Word of God says. So with that in mind, we're going to talk today about the book of James. And if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. I would love for you to turn with me to the book of James because I want you to I want this to be one of those series where you're marking in your Bible and you're writing notes and you're underlining stuff because this is going to be one of those where we're going to dig pretty deep into a specific book of the Bible. We don't always do that, but this one is definitely going to be that one. And I just want to give you uh, just kind of an, an an upfront challenge because this is going to be today. It, it, it might it might mess with you a little bit. It might um, push you a little bit. And, and my my challenge to you is today is to um, to soak up uh, God's word in, in the book of James and and actually try it. Actually try to try some of this stuff that it's going to call us to do today. We're going to start right in in verse one. And it says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, for those of you who are not Bible scholars, and and I surely don't claim to be one either, um, James, the book of James, is probably the very first book of the New Testament that was ever written. Um, some sometimes people think, well, it must have been Matthew because Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, but it's definitely not necessarily chronological like that. The very first book that actually was written, the earliest book um, of the New Testament we have was written by this guy named James. And James was the brother of Jesus. This was Jesus's younger brother. Uh, pretty cool, huh? So if anybody is going to know some stuff about Jesus, know the dirt about Jesus, it's going to be James. In fact, as you read the book of James, it reads much like a lot of the stuff that Jesus, um, when he when he speaks, there's a lot of similarities, and he uses a lot of the the stories and the and the the, the stuff that Jesus talks about. He just kind of puts it in a little uh, firmer, harsher, harder way. Um, he's kind of like the it's almost like he was the the brother that got beat up a lot because man, when he speaks, it's just like he he just um, puts it right in your face. But he introduces himself as James, and what's what's interesting about this is he, he a lot of the New Testament books, if you read other ones like by Paul, they'll say stuff like he'll say Paul, an apostle um, of the Lord Jesus Christ, commissioned by God, and he'll talk about how Jesus appeared to him. He'll give some credentials as to who he is. Now James is at this point, and as we read this letter, he is the leader. Uh, along with Peter of the of the of the very first church of the New Testament church in Jerusalem, he is like the head pastor, bishop, whatever you want to call him. He's the dude, and so him and Peter are heading up the church of Jerusalem. He is a um, he is a Jew. He's a very good Jew, and he uh, obeys all the laws. 
And he is uh, seen as not just a person who was a brother of Jesus, but he is high up in um, an authority in the church. But he doesn't say, hey, I'm James. I'm the leader of the church of Jerusalem. I'm, this, I'm Jesus's brother. He doesn't even say that. Here's, what he, here's his classification. Here's what gives him the authority to, to, to say what he's about to say to us. Because he's about to tell us over the next um, six or seven weeks as we go through this, he's going to tell us some really tough stuff, some kind of hard to swallow things. And here's his authority for doing that. He says, I'm a servant. Now, that's actually not even a very good translation of that. Uh, we, we translate it in a lot of our modern Bibles, the word servant, because we don't like the word slave. And, but this word is actually the word doulos, which means slave or, or bond slave. It's a bond servant. It's a person who is not a slave. Um, they've not been enslaved, um, but they have freely chosen themselves to serve in enslavement someone. That's the word. He says, I am a slave of God. I have freely chosen to serve no, to serve God. When we think of the word servant, we think of somebody who might be a hired help or we think somebody who's like, they go do nice things for people. I'm going to go serve someone because I, I, I want to be nice to them and out of the goodness of my heart. James is not serving God out of the goodness of his heart. He's not serving God because he gets paid for it. Um, he says, I, I am a freely chosen slave of God. God has possession of me. I have no will, no agenda of my own. And this is from, this is from him. And he, he makes two distinctions. He does not just say a servant of God. Notice he says, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not say, and of my bro. <laughs> um, he does not say, of, of just my brother. He says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses the language of Messiah. He says, this guy, Jesus, he's not just my brother. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is God. So he's coming to us saying, I'm a, I'm a servant. And, and I want you to know, um, if you're a person here who uh, is a servant of God, if you're just a, a person who tries to do nice things every once in a while towards God, you're not going to like this book at all. Because you're not going to want to follow it. Um, you have to become, you have to, to get to the place where you're going to be like James, where you're going to say, I am, I am a slave to God. I, I serve him. I serve him only. My agenda is not my own. My only agenda I have is his agenda. And when you get to that place, only then can you begin to swallow and, and begin to do and become obedient to what um, this book is going to call us to do. So he says, I'm a servant of God to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, to the, the 12 tribes is uh, a statement of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. He was speaking to Jews because at that time when he wrote this book, the only people who were Christians were Jews. They had actually not even had Gentile believers. There might have been some, but the majority of people who had come to know Jesus at the time he wrote this um, were, were all Jews. In fact, later, James and, and Peter and, and, and Paul, later, of course, we see that in the book of Acts. We see uh, this movement of Gentiles, people who are non-Jews coming to know Christ. But at this point, most of them were actually um, mostly still Jews. And he says this to those 12 tribes, to, to the church scattered among the nations. Now, the reason why they're scattered is because in Acts chapter 8, we read about a great persecution. Um, the the leaders of the the church of the 
the Jews at that time, um, they actually stoned and killed this guy named Stephen who stood up for Jesus and said, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. They stoned him and killed him. And then it says that after the next four verses, it says there was a great persecution that, that came about. In other words, they were um, taking people who believed in Jesus. They were stripping them of their homes, putting them in prison. They were killing some of them. Um, they were burning their homes. They were doing terrible things to them. And um, they scattered. They left. They left from Jerusalem, and it said, and the, and the gospel spread with them. They preached the gospel everywhere as they were going along. So he's speaking to a people who are traveling uh, um, away from their homeland. Many of them have lost their places of business. Most all of them have lost their places of business. They've lost their homes. They've been um, um, separated from family, separated from spouses, separated from children. And now they find themselves, many of them, in poverty. They find themselves running for their lives. They find themselves hiding in people's homes. They find themselves uh, struggling to put food on the table. Uh, they find themselves in, in desperate and dire situations. Now, not all of them were like that. Some were still um, doing business in Jerusalem. But many of them and most of them had, had left because of the great persecution. And many of them had, had suffered personally because of it. This is who he's speaking to, and this is so important because the next thing he's going to say out of, out, of, out of his mouth speaks directly to this situation. So he's speaking to those who are, are, are Christians. So if you're a Christian today, he's speaking to you, and he's speaking to people who are in, in situations that are difficult. And not difficult because... Um, I, uh, I stole something, and now I have to go to prison. And, man, God must not like me. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people that, because they believe in Jesus, they were doing the right thing. Now they face poverty and, and fear and confusion and disappointment and loneliness and all the, just the emotions you could possibly imagine uh, they're in the midst of. So, so listen to what he says. The first thing I have is, let me let me just say this. Before we even read this next verse, and you've probably, if you jump ahead, you've probably already read it and you've heard it before. I want you to imagine yourself being one of these people. You're, you're a Jew who claimed to know Jesus. And you got kicked out of your home. You had to l grab your family and say, we've got to go because we don't know when, the, when people are going to come and attack us, kill us. They may put us in prison. Um, we don't know. So we... we pack up as little as we can and we rush out of our hometown all that we know maybe we're trying to stay with family somewhere far away and James we hear that James is sending us a letter you now James is the leader of the church so this is good news we hear James has sent us a letter and this letter went out to all of the people and they they made copies of it and they spread it out people would run out carrying it it's a letter it's a letter it's a letter from James the head of the church so imagine being a person who's run away from your, your home in Jerusalem. You're a Christian. You want to know what's going on. You're looking for some, some hope. You're looking for something that's going to help you get through this horrific time. And here's a letter from the very person who's leading the church and leading the charge. Surely he's going to say something that's going to, that's going to help you. Verse 2. Here we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that doesn't sound like the word I would have wanted to have heard. Would it have been what you have wanted to hear? (laughs) No, absolutely not. You know, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, who are spread out all over because of persecution whenever you face trials of many different kinds. And they were going through lots of different trials. Consider it joy. Do we, do we consider it joy when we go through trials? Not most of us. I know that most of us just kind of are, it's our tendency to feel things like self-pity, self-sorrow, or frustration, anger, confusion. But definitely I wouldn't put in joy in there. But Paul says, consider it joy. Now, one of the, the reasons why I even wanted to do this book study is because this, this um, book has personally meant a lot to me over the last month. A lot to me because uh, for me, some of you who've been around for a while, you, you know that I have this disease where I, I get vertigo like crazy and I've, it's called Meniere's disease. It messes with my inner ear. And I've been really sick over the last uh, five or six weeks. And, and kind of every day I'm getting a little bit better. And actually today is a, good, a pretty good day. And I had a fairly good week this week. It was kind of day to day. But this book has has really spoke to me and God's used it a lot in my life. And, and I've just been looking as I've been talking to people in the church, how so many people are going through trials. Our poor children's pastor, uh, our children's director, her name is Chelsea. Uh, her and her husband, uh, Wes, are two young people and they, they wait tables and work part-time for the church and work part-time outside. And so um, they this week have had like, one of the most craziest, like, worst weeks ever when it comes to um, automobiles. I don't know if you've ever had car trouble, but um, I gave them this. They, they needed new tires. They bought a new, a new car, and the car needed new tires. So I said, hey, why don't you go over to this guy, and he sells used tires, and, and you can get them for, like, half as cheap as you can get new tires. They thought, hey, we don't have much money. It's a great idea. Let's go buy used tires. So um, my, my bad, I, I didn't know that they were going to, be as bad as they were, but they went and got these used tires. Okay. And it shouldn't be like this, but no joke, like a week and a half later, they're driving down the road and one of them blows out. So great. They just bought new used tires or used tires. One of them blows out. So they take it back to the guy. He argues forever. He doesn't want to pay for it. Um, but he, they, he cuts him a deal. says, I'll give you a half price. I'll give you a new one. They drive away, not joking. The other tire blows up. And they have to call in a tow truck. Tow truck comes in, and the tow guy's looking at the tires. He's like, all your tires are bad. He's like, your other two are about to explode too. And they're like, really? So they just paid all this money. They got four bad tires. My, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's my fault. Um, I, told them, I told them to go to the store. So listen, they lost all four tires. Then they go to like change one of the tires, and the jack breaks, and the car like collapses onto the ground. And when it did, it broke the axle. So now they've got four bad tires. They've got a broken axle. They take it to the guy. They take it to a mechanic. It's going to cost you a lot of money. We're going to put, they're going to get four all-new tires, replace the axle, all this kind of stuff. And then um, they get the car, and they go drive it down the road, and it's still not working right. So then the guy says, well, I think you might have broke the transmission too. So this has been like the worst week ever for them. I feel so bad. I feel like maybe it was my fault, um, but but I'm just like man, this is this is not 
this is not fun. It's caused them a lot of money. It's a lot of pain, a lot of headache. I'm talking to another uh, family in our church, and their baby's about to have surgery. And, you know, it's just like, man, their baby's going to have to be in a cast for 12, a baby in a cast. I mean, that sounds like fun, like changing diapers with that. That's going to be awesome, you know. And so um, so it's like these just trials and, and issues and difficulty that so many people are, are, are facing constantly. And and I guess the question really kind of came down to me. I was thinking about was when do we never not face trials? Never. We always have them. So James is speaking to. There goes the lights. Maybe. <laughs> um, uh, so James is speaking to us, and he's not just speaking to them, but he's speaking straight to us too. And I hope that you can see that this is for you. He says, "Consider it pure joy." Now, I want you to notice something that he did not say. He did not say, I'm so sorry that you're in this situation. I know it is so tough. He didn't say that, did he? You want to know why he didn't say that? Because when he says stuff like that, it could cause people to, to, to have self-pity. He didn't say, I'm so sorry for what you're in, and I, it's just, I know it's so bad, but we're going to try to get through. He doesn't say that because he doesn't want people to feel sorry for themselves. He says, no, consider it pure joy. He gives them this directive, this kind of in your face. This is a time to rejoice. He does not say, hey, I'm here in Jerusalem and I'm going to fix the problem. I'm the head of the church and we're going to get some some stamps and we're going to distribute food and I'm going to change the system here and the politics here. And, you know, you might be struggling out there, but economy might be bad, but we're going to we're going to make some changes on the Capitol Hill. And so you're going to be fine. So he didn't say that either. You want to know why? Because that's false hope in man's efforts. That's just false hope in man's efforts. Because in the reality is, is things might get better here, might get better there for a day or two. But in reality, there's always going to be trials, always going to be hardship. And we can never wait to the place where they go away. So he's saying, I don't want you to trust in, in man's efforts and have false hope. I don't want you to have self-pity. I don't want you to get angry. I'm not he didn't say, hey, we're going to get back at these people. He didn't say, we're going to rally together. There was no strategic plan for them to come together to fight the system. Hey, these people are persecuting us, but we're going to rally together and we're going to get them back. That's not in the letter. He says, consider it pure joy. Why would, he, why would they not rally back against these people? Because he doesn't want to cause anger and revenge. He wants them to be joyful exactly where they are. He's, he's, he's doing this. He's saying there is no excuse, no matter what situ- situation you are in life, for us to stop being obedient to God and stop living in faith to God and to stop rejoicing in God. Because our, our, our obedience to him and our joy in him and our rejoice in the lordship of Jesus does not matter. It did not matter because they just came out of Acts chapters uh, 2 and 3 when there was just this praising of God and, and miracles were happening and crazy stuff was happening and people were being provided for, sick people were being healed and people were just so happy and they were sharing everything with each other. It was so good. He didn't say, one day it's going to be like that, guys. He didn't say that. He said, no, now, in the midst of where you are now, even though you, if you can rejoice then, you can rejoice now. There is never an excuse because there will always be trials. There will always be hard times ahead. 
And joy doesn't have to do with our circumstances and our situations. So his, so his directive to them is consider it pure joy. And here's, here's the why. Because, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's a word we love. Ooh, I'm a, I'm a person who's perseverant. <laughs> and he says, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So he says, you're going to go through this testing of your faith, but it's going to produce something in you, something that you do not have now called perseverance. And if we let perseverance finish its work, you're going to be a person who's mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, oftentimes people will misread and misinterpret this passage. And let me explain to you. Some people will say that means every time I go through something bad, that means God is testing me. That is not what it says. Okay. God is not testing you. God is not out poking at you, waiting for you to mess up so that you would pass or fail. Okay, it's not like that. It's not like in school when you take tests and you pass and fail. Listen, I, I took this, I had this great idea. I was in college at Florida State University and um, I needed to take a foreign language and I hate foreign languages. So I said, I'm going to take this class pass or fail because I could do that because it was not um, required within my, in my major. I was a biology major and so I'd, I had to have just some kind of language to graduate. Um, but I could take it pass or fail. So I said, I'm going to take this class pass or fail. It's a really stupid idea. I, so I get in this French class, okay? And, of course, the Lord would ordain me to sit next to this extremely cute little girl. And, uh, and as I sat next to her, I was really distracted because I cared more about her than I did about the class. And so I thought, this class is pass or fail, so I, I can just kind of do a mediocre job, and I can just flirt with this girl beside me and not really do much in the class. So every time it came test time, I would, like, cram as much as I could. I didn't do much homework. I would cram as much as I could, and I would do, like, just barely below average on my test. But then my... um my French teacher thought it'd be really fun to start doing pop quizzes. How many of you guys just loved pop quizzes? Anybody out there? Come on, raise your hands. I, I hated pop quizzes because here's, here's why I hated them, because I never did my homework, <laughs> and I didn't read, and I didn't study, and I never paid attention to the teacher because I was checking out the cute girl. And so um, I, was, uh, I, was, I was not very good at pop quizzes, and the problem became he started adding up all these pop quizzes as a major part of our grade. I did like basically C's on my tests, um, but I failed all my pop quizzes. So I actually, when it came to the end of the um, semester, I failed my French class. I, I tell people the only two classes I failed in college were French, and that was because of a girl, and chemistry, and that's because it was just it was just dang hard. Okay, and so I, I failed organic chemistry and uh, and stupid French. But this is not how God, this is not what he's talking about. God has not given us these pass or fail tests. But I'll tell you what, oftentimes it is. It is much more like um, pop quiz. So here's, here's what I mean. Um, when you have a flat tire, it's like pop quiz. It's like, how is, your, how is your faith today? And when you have a flat tire, if you're out swearing at God and swearing at your tire and, and kicking your car, all right, you just failed your, your pop quiz. You just failed. Because you were not acting in, in, in a godly way, um, you were you were failing. 
And so life is full of these pop quizzes that I guess testing of our faith. And here's a, here's the really a better word than test. And this is where the word application comes in. Really a, a, the better word for that test is really the word application. It's an, it's an application of our faith. It's a time for us, an opportunity. Hard times are opportunities for us to apply our faith in God, which is our trust in him that he is in control and we are not and that we're going to trust him in what he says and what he does. So we're going to trust him. So when we have a flat tire on the side of the road, do, do, we, do we curse? Do we get angry? Do we, um, do, we, do we get mad at him or do we trust in him? When we lose our job, it's a pop quiz. Pop quiz. <laughs> what happens? Do we curse God? Do we get angry at him? Do we come home and curse our wife or curse our, our husband or, or treat our kids harshly because um, we were treated harshly? Do we, um, do we fail the, the pop quiz because we faced difficulty? Life is full of pop quizzes, isn't it? And, but here's the reality. He, he's not up there testing to see if we're going to fail and test, and he's not keeping uh, the score, this grade point average for us to see if we pass or fail. That's not what he's doing. But what James is saying is that every time we have a pop quiz, every time we have an opportunity of trial, of hardship, uh, something happens, there's an illness, uh, maybe there's a problem with a child, whatever it might would be, uh, a death in the family, it's an opportunity, it's a pop quiz, a time for us to apply our faith, for us to give application to what we've heard about God, that God is really who he says he is. Because here's, here's the... Here's the product of that. He says it will produce in you, if you continue to apply your faith, perseverance. And what perseverance is, is perseverance is long obedience, long-term obedience to God. Perseverance is when you obey God over and over and over and over again. It's not when you say, hey, I obeyed obeyed God one time. Um, It's not a momentary heroic it's, it's obeying God and kind of the humdrum of life. And in the day-to-day, going to the grocery store and, you know, going to the gas station and coming home and cleaning the house and doing the laundry and all of the things, it's just the humdrum of life. It's being obedient over the long period of time. That's perseverance. And when you're obedient over the long period of time, what James says is he gives us this picture. He says, here's what happens with perseverance. He says, if we would let perseverance finish its work, he says, he says you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He gives us this picture of a Christian who is mature in Christ, who is, not, who is complete in Christ, who is not lacking anything. And, and maybe you're, you're a person here who says, man, I, I feel like I'm far away from where God would have me be. I'm far away from the person that God would have me be. Every time you have a pop quiz in life, a trial in life, it's an opportunity for you to apply your faith to become more and more the person who God wants you to be. That God wants to use every opportunity in your life to lead you to the place where you are, where he wants you to be, the person that he wants you to become. He wants you to be mature. 
Now, we use that word a lot. Most all of us, if I asked you, hey, are you a mature person? You would say, yes, I'm mature. And um, when we make fun of people, we say things like, oh, you're so immature, right? We consider ourselves mature. Even 13-year-olds consider themselves mature just because they have a little hair growing on the top of their lip. You know, it's like, I'm mature. Let me check out my cool fuzz. You know, um, but... <laughs> But maturity in, in, in this is spiritual maturity. How are we in relationship to God? How, how, is, our, how is our faith and our maturity in, in, in Christ? I have a, um, a two-year-old daughter. She just turned two, and we're starting to potty train her. She's really excited about potty training. She loves the potty. She wants to go pee-pee in the potty. She just won't. She thinks it's a great idea. We bought her this cool little Dora, like, cushy potty thing, you know, that goes on top of the toilet seat. And she wants to wear big girl panties. And we bought her little Dora panties. And so she puts on Dora panties. I want to, she, and she'll say, I want to wear panties. I want to wear panties. I want to go pee-pee in the potty. So we put on panties and we sit her on the potty and she just sits. She thinks it's awesome. Okay, I'm all done. But you didn't go potty. I know, you know, it's, it's like, so she gets down the other day. Um, I was telling, we were trying, you know, trying to get her to, to go pee pee in the potty, but she went pee pee on the floor and she goes, dad, I go pee pee on the floor. And we're like, no, 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 you don't go pee pee on the floor. You go pee pee in the potty. She goes, no, no, pee pee on the floor. Well, no, no, it's pee pee on the potty. No, no, pee pee on the floor. She liked pee pee on the floor. I guess that was, you know, but she's, you know, she's still kind of growing up. And listen, many of us spiritually, we're still we're still in, in potty training because we're still peeping on the floor. We're making messes of our lives spiritually, aren't we, sometimes? And, and for, for some of us, I would hope that this would be a challenge to you. Again, I, I told you in the beginning, you know, James is not, he doesn't put things very um, easy sometimes. He, he wants you to be mature. He's saying if you want to be mature, then you need to exercise faith and trust in him and consider every trial you go through joy, rejoice in it, be faithful to God, no matter where you are, no matter what trial you are enduring. He wants you to, to head towards maturity. How many of you could say, I, I need to grow up. I need some maturing. Let me, let me just challenge you with this. And if you don't remember anything else, remember this, never waste a good trial. Never waste a good trial. Never waste a hardship. Never waste something bad in your life because anytime you have a trial, anytime you have a hardship, this is the question that we should be asking. God, what would you like me to learn in this trial? God, how would you like to grow me and mature me in this trial? God, this is a really difficult time for me. I've lost my job and I'm really struggling financially. How would you like to mature me, God, in this time? Not self-pity, God, why aren't, you, why aren't you providing for my needs? God, why, aren't, why would you do this to me? God, why would you do that? No, James says, none of that. Consider it joy. Persevere. Just because you're going through a hard time does not give you the card, the, the get-out-of-free-jail card to stop obeying God, to stop having faith in God. You need to have faith in Him when times are good and when times are bad. And at every trial, never waste a good trial and ask, God, what do you want to do in me? 
What is lacking in me during this trial that I need to grow in in order to become the man of God, the woman of God, the teenager of God that you've called me to be? Because becoming mature and complete is in, in Christ is the end goal. If it's not, then I don't know what is. But becoming mature and complete and not lacking anything is the picture of the Christian that we would want to be. As James says, I'm a slave to God and he is my ultimate authority and I have no other authority. I belong to him. There is nothing else uh, that identify, that I that I find my identity in other than in him and being a slave to him. And so any never waste a good trial. Always come back to him and say, God, how would you want me to be used I'm going to read through the next um, several verses fairly quickly because we can um, we can apply it pretty quickly. And I, but I want to read this to you because James says this. Verse five, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now, I want to be careful when he says lacks wisdom. What he means is not um, your head is full of lots of knowledge and you can go on jeopardy and win. What wisdom is, is wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is the what to do. If any of you are asking, what do I do? That's what he's talking about. If any of you are in a situation where it's it's hard and you're asking God, what do I do? You lack the knowledge of knowing what to do. Here's what you do. He says, you should ask God. Here's why you should ask God. He says, who gives generously, because he gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. So if you if you need to know what to do, he says you need to ask God for the wisdom to discern and to know what to do in whatever situation that you're in. And he says that God is full of grace. He gives it generously. He gives it to you personally and he gives it to you without finding fault, knowing that you're a sinful person, knowing that your sin is covered under the blood of Jesus, that he does not looking at you and saying, ah, you're a pretty simple person. I'm not going to help you out but I'm going to help this person out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he's going to give it to you if you ask him for it. But James gives us some stipulations. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe. That's the issue of faith. That's the issue of trusting in God. He says you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Listen, I told you James was kind of in your face. I told you it was hard to swallow some of the things that he says. But he says, if you, if you say, God, I need to know what to do, but doubt God, don't expect to get anything from him. He says that we should ask and have faith in him and ask him. And maybe you have some doubts, but you say, God, help me not to, help me not to doubt. Help my doubts. Help me to trust in you. Help me to believe in you, to know what to say. So he says, if you need to know what to do, you need to trust in him, exercise faith, believe in him and ask and he'll give it to you. And then the next uh, little short passage that he says, he says in verse nine through through 11, I'll read it real fast. It says, believers who are in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Meaning if you're poor and you're going through really hard times, Consider yourself in a high position. But he says, but the rich, and he's not saying rich believers, but just rich people who do not know God, should take pride in their humiliation 
since they will pass away like a wildflower. Flower, for the sun rises in scorching heat, with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And what he's saying is during this hardship, during this trial, do not look to financial gain. Do not look to material things to meet your needs because it's all going to fade away. Instead, you look to the wisdom of God. You pray for his wisdom on what to do. And don't worry about material things being your salvation. So he says that very clear. And then verse 12, this sums it up. Such an encouragement. says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He gives us a picture of the end days. He's speaking to people who are going through, who are going to face very difficult situations, knowing that some of them will lose their life. And he's saying, persevere, because the goal is not that you would have the happiest life on earth with, with a, you know, a house with a picket fence, a two-car garage, and a dog. But it's that in the end, your, your Lord and Savior Jesus will look to you, who, you said, I'm your, who, who you've come under and said, I'm, I'm your servant. He will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will place the crown of life on your head. And your reward will be that in heaven, not on this earth. He's saying that the reward that we're looking for is not here. It is in heaven. That's why we persevere. For some of you, this is um, good news. For some of you, this is not good news. For some of you, you would rather God promise you material possessions now. For some of you, you've maybe even heard in the past that if you believe in God, God will make your life better and he will, he will provide everything that you've ever wanted. And that is not true. He said he provides what we need, whatever that he deems necessary in his will. And so for some of you, though, this is good news because you're in difficult times. You just need to be reminded that it's time to rejoice and it's time to say, God, how can you use this trial in my life to mature me? For those of you who don't know God, this is difficult. For those of you who have not yet submitted to Christ, difficulty is just, it's hardship is just hardship. And without God, it's just hard. Without God, it's just not hopeful. But with God, there is hope. Because yes, in this life there is trouble, but there is an end result. And yes, there is an afterlife. And yes, you will meet your maker. And yes, his name is Jesus. And if you know him and you serve him, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you do not know him, he will say, depart from me. And it will be more hard times. And this is the message of James. It is hard and it is true. But we should come to the place where we ourselves have decided who we're going to serve and who we're going to follow. So this week, as you face trials, and I face trials. Listen, let me just encourage you. Rejoice. Rejoice. No matter what circumstance, rejoice in Him. Because He is faithful. Even when we're not, He is faithful. This last five weeks for me has been really difficult, but I, I came to the place, this, I, I would say probably the last week, I just was spending time with God and praying. Actually, it might have been Monday, where I, I just came to the place where I, I don't know what happened, but something just kind of clicked. 
And I became thankful for my disease. I became thankful for my illness. I said, God, thank you that you make me go through trials. Because when you do, you lead me closer to you. Because here's where joy, joy comes from. Joy comes from closeness with the Father. It's like a cell phone tower. If you're far from the cell phone tower, you have very little signal and you kind of get interrupted and, and the calls of life and you can try to talk, but you, you kind of can't hear well and, and, and you cannot interpret things well. But the closer you get to the cell tower, the more bars go up, the greater, the, the easier it is and the clearer you can hear the calls on your phone. When you, when you experience trials, you need to draw yourself close to the Lord. It says, he who comes near to me, I'll come near to them. And when you come near to him, that is when you experience joy. I've been able to experience joy through the middle of being sick and having hardships. Why? Because I have felt the closeness of God. Man, there's nothing better in life than that. Nothing. And so can I be thankful? Can you be thankful for trials? Absolutely. If you can come close to the Father. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for an opportunity to just connect with, with you and with each other and your word. And God, I know so many people who are here today are going through difficulty. And God, I just pray that James would, your word through James would challenge them to um, apply joy in their life. God, I pray that you would bring them, draw them close to you this week. May you use the, the hardships in their life to draw them close to you. You would mature them this week. God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna...